This is the exposition. Let's talk about slavery. No, white people, come back! <laughs> Even today, the topic of slavery still brings up so many hot-button issues. Racism, Confederate statues, and lately, reparations. Should America compensate the descendants of slaves? For a long time, reparations were considered a radical idea. But recently, it's become a lot more mainstream, you know? Sort of like how we used to think hitchhiking was a crazy idea. But now we have a rating system for it and an app, and we're like, yeah, it's fine. Jake didn't murder me, five stars. <laughs> and you can tell how mainstream the idea of reparations has become, because pretty much every single one of the 89 Democrats running for president has gotten on board. Some 2020 Democratic presidential hopefuls are putting a new spin on an old idea, whether to pay direct descendants of slaves. I've long believed that uh, this country should address the original sin of slavery including by looking at reparations. I think that we have got to address that, um, again, it's back to the inequities. I absolutely believe that we need to have some kind of accounting for the persistent racial inequities today. I believe it's time to start the national, full-blown conversation about reparations in this country. Wow, that is really great to hear. Although... I have my eye on you, Elizabeth Warren. I feel like as soon as reparations are passed, she'll be like, there's something I didn't tell you about my ancestry results. I'm also 120th black. Who knew? I accept cash check or Apple Pay. Now, it may not come as a surprise, but while Democrats seem to be uniting behind the idea of reparations, people on the right are just as united behind the idea of hell no. It is the party of reparations. Presidential candidates say Americans should be rewarded or punished based on their skin color. My great-great-grandfather, he fought with the Union Army. Do I get a discount? No need to grapple with practical questions about the proposal, like how you determine who receives and who pays for the reparations, how much it would cost, whether Nigerians who just arrived here would benefit. Okay, what? That's just a stupid question. Nigerians don't need reparations, all right? They've already been paid by Jussie Smollett, okay? <laughs> what are you talking about? And look, obviously, there are a lot of details that would need to be figured out if America did decide to go with reparations, but that's not a reason to just dismiss it uh, out of hand. Like, you can make anything sound crazy by asking questions in a skeptical tone. I'm, I'm sorry, you want to have sex? So, so what, you're, you're just gonna put a part of you inside a part of me, and, and then what, just pull, put it in, and then pull it out, and do it over and over again? And then what, the penis throws up, and then there's a baby? Uh, I don't know, it doesn't seem very realistic to me. And now, surprisingly, there are some folks at Fox News who think there should be reparations, but maybe reparations for white people. They keep blaming America for the sin of slavery, but the truth is, throughout human history, slavery has existed, and America came along as the first country uh, to end it within 150 years. And we get no credit for that. Yeah! How come America doesn't get credit for having slavery for only 200 years? Yeah! It's one of the dumbest arguments I've ever heard. First of all, there are many countries that got rid of slavery much faster than the U.S., all right? Second of all, you don't get credit for doing a bad thing less than someone else, okay? That's like R. Kelly saying, guys, get over it. Have you seen the Michael Jackson documentary? And now, to be fair, to be fair, there are some people on the right who are willing to consider reparations. But unfortunately, what they're saying is that that slave ship has just sailed. It is impossible to come up with a fair metric for recompensing slavery yeah. 10 generations after slavery's end. How do you calculate the financial penalty for injustices that my great-grandfather committed against somebody else's great-grandfather? Nobody alive today has a grandparent who was a slave. And in that sense, I think you reach a point where, you know, you need to move on. Yeah, move on, people, it's over. You know, it's funny how with, uh, with slavery, these people are like, get over it, that's history. But if you try and take down a Confederate statue, it's like, how dare you, that's history. <laughs> and though it may seem like ancient history, 10 generations, that's not true. Slavery wasn't that long ago, all right? There actually are people alive today with grandparents who were slaves, right? In fact, up until a couple of years ago, there was a woman whose dad was a slave, her dad. Yeah, imagine growing up in a house where your father 
was a slave. That is harrowing. It also means as a kid, you can't complain about shit. <laughs> what are you going to say in the house? He's like, ah, oh, school was so annoying today. Oh, school was annoying. You know what was really annoying? Slavery. <laughs> Dad, I can't believe you won't let me go over to Melissa's house. You know where I wasn't allowed to go as a kid? Slavery. <laughs> that doesn't even make sense. You know what else didn't make sense? I know, slavery. No, the ending of Inception. I didn't understand what was going on there. <laughs> It's just, like, it's just, here's the thing, it's just funny to me that in America, whenever people want to fix a problem, it seems like it's never the right time, you know? Reparations, ah, that was, that was so long ago. Gun control, it's too soon to talk about it. Climate change, it hasn't even happened yet. Let's wait for the ice caps to melt, and then we'll, what, do something? No, then it'll be too soon to talk about it. This is the exposition. We reporting live from the reparations now. A little uh, speech they doing up here at the Capitol. So we're going to go ahead and listen to some of what they got to say, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Probably be introduced. And these are the bills at Black Civic Network that we debate about all the time. It's a bill on reparations. They want to add the Native American brothers and sisters to the bill. We were just in a meeting two years ago talking about reparations with our brothers and sisters who are Native Americans. They told this thing, they don't want reparations. They want reconciliation. Now I want you to understand why they put those two together. They're always trying to pit us against each other. They always want us to be fighting one another. They always want us debating one another. Yeah, we know this is their land. All right, I'll wrap it up. We know it's their land, but we're not gonna support that bill. I know my brother Jeff Hayden, he had his face plastered over it, but we gotta tell Jeff, hell no. Hell no. We're done with the people of color stuff. You're gonna talk to us directly. You're gonna deal with us directly. We ain't gonna punk out. The punk day's over. Anybody talking people of color, we know they ain't rolling with us. We might as well say no. If you put your name on the ballot, you say you represent us, you better be down for reparations. I don't care if you got a D, a DFL, a GOP, or ABC in front of your name. If you're not supporting reparations, you are not getting our vote. Brother Danny Gibbons, you ready? Let's give Danny Gibbons a round of applause. How y'all doing out there? brought my son with me. This is a historical moment. It's an honor to be out here and to be present doing this work. I think it's important that the messaging that's going out right now about the timing of reparations. I can value what the, the flyer that I received from Nick and the rest of the folks that have been sharing this flyer around saying that, you know, it's reparations right now. We ain't waiting. We don't want it tomorrow. We want it right now. And what's so important about it being right now is this, is that if we don't have the now moment to begin to repair, to begin to rebuild, to begin to receive the narrative of hope, the narrative of truth that our people have, we haven't been afforded a time to heal. We haven't been afforded a time to really rebuild or time to really invest. And for those of us that were able to access some wealth, to give themselves some time to begin to build generational wealth for the first time, we need time to heal before we burn out. So it's important that we get this opportunity and this moment to begin to lean into the work because if we don't get this opportunity, we'll continue to see the statistics perpetuated in the ways that they are. We'll continue to see harm perpetuated upon people who look like us. We'll continue to see poverty impact people who look like us. We'll continue to see mental health off the Richter scale on that impact people like us. We'll continue to see homes that are, that are divided by the child protection and social service system. We'll continue to see all of these things if we don't take the time out to heal. And the sad part is that we financially, we socially, we economically, they can't afford to heal because we're incessantly under attack. At every front, at every vantage point, we're under attack. And so why do we need reparations? It isn't solely about some type of financial kickback for the oppressions that have been waged upon our people. It's about affording us the same opportunities that everybody else should get in this world. Our opportunities for the pursuit of life, liberty, happiness for all the people that are on this earth and not just some of us. 
It saddens my heart that we have to gather out here under the sun yet again to declare what's rightfully ours. But if we don't continue to keep applying the pressure, if we don't keep speaking to the now, I was doing some research on what it requires, what requirements are in place for the land, for the earth to heal after a tragedy has happened. We see what's happening with our natural rain forces and other agricultural systems across the world, right? And we're seeing crops not being able to be planted for generations, for decades. What does it mean for us whose soils of our heart have been harmed by the trauma of this government, have been harmed by the trauma of this system, have been harmed by the oppressive narrative of the American society that isn't speaking life to the American descendants of slaves? Everybody else has had an opportunity to benefit off of us except for us. Everybody else has had an opportunity to benefit off of us except for us. And we're the ones, unfortunately, that are at the forefront of it all. Every time they say that there's some type of disparity, it's us. Every time that they say there's type of criminality, it's us. Every time that they say there's some type of injustice, it's us. At what point are we going to begin to have the opportunity to brand ourselves? around the true narrative of our people. And it's not a monolithic narrative. This narrative creates an, creates an intersection for all of us to show up, no matter what you subscribe to. But here today, we gotta declare that the American descendants of slaves need it right now. We're demanding it right now. We're not gonna allow this to be co-opted. This ain't about no optics. This ain't about no names. This ain't about no titles. It's about our people. It's about the generation. I just had a new baby boy that's three months old. I don't want 20 years from now. I don't want 10 years from now us to be having the same exact conversation talking about what we need to make sure that the next generation has an opportunity to be able to navigate life and successfully move throughout this world. I'm not gonna hold this mic too long, but I'm just blessed to have an opportunity for real, to be out here and be present with this. Water, I fully like wholeheartedly in support of these. I support this whole movement. I appreciate y'all, man. Appreciate and love you too, brother. Now I want to make sure that we make this clear. Because I'm calling this next speaker up. But I want to talk about something. The Star Tribune put out a piece about welfare. In that piece, they had a black mother with her three children on the city bus. Ramsey County put out a piece on child support. In that piece, it was a black man with his son. I want you guys to understand what they're telling you. They're telling you, black women, you're the face of welfare. You are still the welfare queen. Black man, it's your duty to pay child support. Or you're the deadbeat dad. Meanwhile, while I'm calling my sister out, what they're not telling you is they're not telling you how they're taking our babies out of the homes. And they're selling our babies like livestock, not just in this state, but around the country. So when we start talking about who don't feel safe in our community, adults, you make decisions. Babies don't make decisions. I hear all this talk, but I don't hear us talking about our babies. If you can't protect your baby, you are a chump of people. The babies come first, then it's our elder. Cause they put the time first. You can't protect those two, you can forget about it. But I'm gonna call my sister up, cause you're gonna hear me later. Here you go. I'm children to generate income for the state. In Minnesota, black children are three to 4.8 times more likely to be removed from home as white children in face of the same allegation. These are not abusive parents. I work in child protection. I've served these families. These are families that are poor. They need resources and don't have what it takes to fight back against this monster of a system. The African-American Family Preservation Act and the Reparations Bill are the only two bills that are specific to African descendants of slavery. I am so happy that everyone showed up today, but I am really hoping that when the legislative session starts back and we need your voice, that you'll show up at that time. Because the rallies, the events, they're great, but we need our presence at the Capitol. 
We honestly do. We need to vote this upcoming election. The local elections matter. I can tell you what I had to face at the Capitol, meeting with legislators, trying to get this bill passed. They do not care about black children. They do not care about black families. We need people that actually represent us in those seats, and the only way that we get them there is if we're voting them in. Our local elections matter way more than the national elections. I don't get it twisted, you all. But we have a ton of information at preserveourfamilies.org. Please support the people that are supporting you. Um, again, Black Civic Network, Village Arms, we're working on the reparations and African-American Family Preservation Act, specific to African descendants of slavery. So join us in that. Thank you. So I got some data that I'm gonna share with y'all regarding child protection services. Cause sometimes when you see these babies taken away from the homes, the first thing we say is, you know what? They had to be beating on those kids. Well, no, only 9% of the children removed from the homes are removed because of physical abuse. Well, maybe they're sexually molesting those kids. Nope, only 2% of the children removed from these families of the sexual abuse. So we're looking at 11%. The other 89% is the flip of the coin. You might have left the milk out too long while the child protection service worker was out there. You may not have covers on your fan. Hell, you just may be poor. And that's all they need to remove our babies. So instead of talking about our relatives, when you see a child that's up for foster care, get involved. We have to stop watching. We have become a community of watchers. We're watching out our window as they're taking the babies out the house. We're watching on the news as we have to watch the trial of some of these babies who have been murdered by their foster parents. One recently where the foster parent was calling the baby niggas drawing Nazi symbols on her forehead. He shut the baby to death. He did. Killed that baby. 18-month-old baby. Now, we're mad about everybody else, but once again, are we mad about our babies? I can go down the list, and I got a list in my pocket that I'm going to talk about later. Because we online talking about, say that name. I got some names for y'all to say. Some folks you probably was on the bus with. Some folks you probably sat in a restaurant with. You're not saying their names. Why? Nobody on social media told you to. So we're also a nation of followers now. We used to set the trends. Now we're following. So I'm calling up these women, this organization who has put forth American descendants of slaves to run for office. I am proud of them. With the head boss the Mississippi Aberdeen Bulldog, <laughs> Alberta Gillespie, and I want you to bring your team up so all you guys can talk about what you're doing and what you're running and how we can support you. I appreciate all of you. Hello, everybody. Uh, Erica and Sonia and Carissa, where you at? Dina, you up here? My we love, we love you. I am Alberta Gillespie, and I have the honor of representing a group called Black Women Rising. Right? I see you, Miss Lenica, out there. And so uh, we've been around for about four and a half years. And so we've been, it's like the Underground Railroad. That's maybe why you haven't heard of us. We out there, we doing work. But what I always tell these ladies, I was like, look, before I let you jeopardize this, ju this journey we on, what will I do? I will shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> They know I say it, right? Because that's how important it is. But the, the things that have happened recently, they caused us to have to come from the underground to the above ground, right? In a, in a mighty way. And so what we have is a number of black women who are running for office. Khalise just told you, Thomas just told you, that if we want change, we got to be at the table. We have to be at the table, and you've heard it before. If we're not at the table, we're on the what? We're on the what? Y'all won't eat us no more. 
Time out for that. We want me your dinner, your breakfast, your lunch, your snack. It is over. We are taking ourselves off the menu and we are going to the table. And we will do that with your support. Because when policies are passed or not passed, you need one of us in the room to say, you know what? That policy feels like a knee on my neck. I can't support it. That's another policy that's gonna keep us in bondage. I can't support it. But when a colleague comes with a policy, or a brother Nick, or a brother Thomas, that is invested in our freedom, that's what we're getting behind. And so we need to be at the table and we need your support to do it. So you gotta know who we are, right? It's good, I'm with Barack Obama. We gotta protest, but we also gotta do politics. We gotta be out there in those streets and we have those folks who have been holding it down in the streets. Now we gonna hold it down for you politically. But we cannot do it alone. I said, we cannot do it alone. You either for us or against us. Ain't no in-between, ain't no middle ground, ain't none of that no more. You understand what I'm saying? You either for us or against us. We out here and we are doing this in spite of the opposition. The party that we vote for the most, that we are the most loyal voting bloc, that would be black women, they are not necessarily excited to see almost 40 of us on the ballot. Why? because you know a change is gonna come, right? And so I wanna take this moment to say, first and foremost, I'm Alberta Gillespie, and I'm running for Congress. The fourth congressional district. This is a part of that district. Have you seen your Congresswoman lately? You see her now. Here's the future. Hello, y'all. And we ain't never had a black woman. I know it's not proper English, but I could do that if you'd like. We have not had a black woman in the Senate. But guess what? We have four, four of them running for office right now. We're going to make history, and not for the sake of just making history, but for the sake of making change. I have the privilege of introducing one of those women, Erica Coleman. Thank you, good afternoon. Thank you. My name is Erica Coleman. That is A-A-R-I-C-A, -A -A, Erica Coleman, and I am running for Senate District 34. That is the cities of Maple Grove, Dayton, Osceola, and Rogers. That is currently represented by Senator Warren Limmer, who has stopped every last crime, criminal justice reform bill to come forward. I am the next senator that will bring forward an equitable and transparent government that represents us all. I believe in proactive public safety policy. I believe in equitable education resources. I believe in housing for all. And most importantly, I believe that we should be represented in Senate and be able to stand up and make the solutions that will best benefit all of us. So I am Erica Coleman, Senate District 34, and I need your support and your vote. Please tell everybody you know, share it on all your social media, I am running in Maple Grove, Dayton, Osseo, and Rogers, and I need your vote by August 11th in the primary. Thank you. Yeah, let me add some context real quick. The African American Family Preservation Act last session moved through the House with all yes votes. In the Senate, it only had one hearing. Senator Lemon, Limmer, excuse me, the district, the man that she's running against refused to hear the bill, so we did not move in the Senate last year. That is why it is important to vote. He just flat out refused to hear it, so it didn't move anymore. We need these folks in office. So Senate District 34, Maple Grove, Dayton, ICO, and Rogers, we need to move in the Senate so we can get this bill passed by our families. Thank you, and I want to introduce the next senator to be Ms. Zena Alston Pfizer. Hello, family. Hello. This is awesome. This is awesome. So my name is Zena Austin Pfizer. I am running for Senate District 44, which represents Plymouth, Minnetonka, and Woodland community. So I'm a, I'm so super excited because Plymouth is the gateway to the suburbs. You know, it's right there on 55. You know, and this is the time that we are under open heaven. They're listening to us. There has, that place has not had a black woman in it ever. It's a 150 year old institution and it never has had a black woman. Isn't that asinine? That's crazy. So, okay, so my campaign is running from the lens of healing, progression, and equity. 
I say that because we have been enduring for centuries theft, and they just passed the wage theft law, and we have had we have not been paid our wages, have we? There's some 400 plus year of on of earned wages not paid to us. So we have endured theft, slavery, murder, Jim Crow, redlining, mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and uh, again, murder. And we still do not have reparations. That's asinine. So my job as your senator, as the senator of Minnesota, is to make sure that we reconcile that. You cannot reconcile stuff if they don't know, if there's not an acknowledgement of the truth. Let's just be honest. This is the things that we've gone through for 400 plus years. We have been hard pressed on every side, but guess what? We're not crushed. We have been perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not destroyed. And guess what? Struck down, but we're still here. We're doing this, and we are going to thrive, not just survive. So my name is Zena Austin Pfizer, Senate District 44, Plymouth, Minnetonka, and, Min and Woodlands. I need your help. It's all hands on deck, people. This is it. This is the time. It's reparations now. Okay, okay. I'm going to need y'all to have more energy because... Again, we, I, I really, I'm a need, I'm from the Black Baptist Church let's in Mississippi. Go, let's go. I was not born let's here in Minnesota, so y'all know. There we go, right let's there. Go. I got you. Let's I feel go. you, right? I'm a call and response kind of girl, right? Let the church say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, that's where I'm from. And let me just tell you, because we are from where we're from, don't look at us and think that we're different than anybody else. We just put ourselves out here. Our candidates have had struggle. They understand what it means to be a single mama trying to make it out here in these streets, right? But they have, they continue to rise in spite of. They understand when our fathers and our sons and our brothers and our uncles are attacked and harassed because what the news doesn't know, they see the ones that murder, but we see when they murder your spirit. We understand when they treat you like you don't belong, when they treat you like less than a man. We understand that. We believe in the black family, the strength of it. We stand for all of those things. But here's the thing, when black women rise, everybody rise. When black women rise, we don't leave anybody behind. So for those who oh, are not yeah. said again, hey brother man, oh, yeah. right up. Look, I'm gonna take you on the campaign trail with me. I say it from my heart, so here's the thing. Two things, right? If you want to contribute, go to blackwomenrising.net. Uh, you'll see the ballot there. Blackwomenrising.net. You'll see the list of women, and you can click on that link and contribute, contribute to the campaign. That was a question. The other thing is, we said we run a grassroots campaign. And here's what we need, is that you're connected to people, right? More than anything, we are in a primary. August 11th is the election. Voting started June 26th. What we need you to do is everyone that you know, you make sure that they vote. Go look at that list and vote. Vote like your lives depended on you. Vote like the, as Dr. King said, it is the fierce urgency of now. There is not another time, people. There is not another time. This is the fierce urgency of right now. Because if it wasn't, we wouldn't be out here. We don't get paid to do this. We're out here because we refuse to hear another black man lay in the street and call out for his mama. He called out, we stepped up, we answered. But we cannot do it without you. So I need each and every one of you to make sure that June 26th had started on August 11th, we're going to end it. We're going to end it with us winning these primaries. And then we're going to go sit at that table. You understand me? Our table, our house, we built that on our backs. That house belongs to us, and we're coming to get it. I told y'all, Aberdeen Bulldog, Alberta Gillespie. All right, next up is a revolutionary from St. Paul, a former Black Panther, NAACP leader, and his brother's deep. 
So we're gonna call up Nathaniel Kalik. We'll call him up to the mic. I couldn't say much to prelude with that brother. Ready? Being here today, and as an elder in the community, I'm really inspired that you young folks have decided to take it over. And it's up to us as elders to sit back and, and wait for the call and come out and help you and assist you any way we can. I was born and raised about a half a mile from here in the old Rondo community on Rondo. That was a thriving black community at the time. We had over 100 businesses. We had home ownership over 50%. And back then, many of the brothers that had degrees and, and, and other forms of advanced education couldn't get the same job as white folks got. But in spite of that, we thrived. And as an extension of the 400-year legacy of our oppression, they came through government action and built the freeway. Even though there was other options available to them that would be less dis disruptive. But they intentionally came through our community, uh, displaced over 300 families, over 100 black businesses. And one of the greatest transfers of wealth in this country is land. And so many of the brothers and sisters, like my 80-year-old grandpa that owned his property, wasn't able to acquire property after he was displaced. And so we lost a lot of, of, of our economic, political, and social engines because of that action. And the transfer of wealth from one generation to the next didn't happen. So we're still feeling some of the effects of this policy of destruction and displacement inequity in our lives. I'm 76 years old, and as a veteran, I feel wounded that many of us thought we were doing the right thing by serving our country, only to come back and catch more hell than, than some of the thugs that was out here, and I'm talking about the white thugs. You know, um, as we go through this journey, we don't really have to make the case. The case is already made. All we have to do is just look at the history. Look at Rosewood, Tulsa, another place. And there was many others that wasn't even reported. One of the things I think that's missing in this discussion, besides holding the government responsible for reparations, we need to go after the insurance company, the banks, and the other institutions that benefited from everything that was going on back then because now they're getting a free ride. And uh, they're trying to hoodwink us by putting Black Lives Matter on their building, in their postings, and everything else. But we got to have them to put some meat on the bone and demand our share of how they benefited from our labor and our blood and our sweat and our tears. Because this is all about freedom, justice, and equality. We're not asking for welfare. You know, in this criminal justice system, if you tear up somebody's stuff or you injure somebody, there's a thing called restitution. And so that's what we're demanding, a form of restitution and reparation. And so I'm just, uh, you know, I can go on to glory. My heart and mind will be at peace knowing that you young folks will continue to to carry on the battle. But we, we got to keep the pressure on us. In my lifetime of, of, of struggle, this is the best time. This is the best time, even during the civil rights, 64 uh, civil rights bill, the public accommodation bill, voting rights bill, all that was important, but this is more important than any of them. And we got these folks' attention. And I just ask each and every one of you to put the same energy and organization skills that you put in, in taking this message throughout the world, put this 
same energy into demanding uh, restitution. And like these sisters said earlier, politics are local. And we've got to get on the folks locally first that represent us. And lastly, I want to remind you again, do not let these corporations off the hook. We to get that. We need to get in front of their building and their corporate headquarters and storm their board meetings and stuff and present our case and show how they benefited from our ancestors. So I just pray that Almighty God continue to bless and protect you. Y'all got a lot of courage, you got a lot of energy, and the ancestors are smiling. And I just hope you don't give up. And the last thing I want to say is watch out for Agent Bafaka Tour. They're here today, they were there yesterday, and they're going to be here tomorrow. You got to be real careful. You got to be real careful because that's what destroyed us in the 60s. They end up throwing a rock at you and hide behind the tree and you look back and your brother be standing there. So don't let that happen. I want to thank y'all for your patience and uh, Brother Nick, where you at? Salam Lincoln, brother. May, may Allah bless you and keep you in the struggle for freedom, justice. Inequality. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thomas Barry. So I, I just wanna I wanna piggyback before I bring my brother up. This is my brother, this is my brother. I gotta bring him up. But when he was talking about agent provocateurs, let's talk about that for a second. Because it's not always people throwing rocks. I watched you young folks online this past weekend. I'm gonna tell you something. Frederick Douglass, during the abolitionist movement, he had one group that stood up to him that wanted to fight. It was the womanist movement, full of white women, who said, hold on a second. You want to get free. Before you get free, what about our rights to vote? They wanted us to hold up, trying to free ourselves, and they wanted to turn this into a gender battle. I watch y'all. Y'all think y'all doing some revolutionary? Oh, this Western patriarchy. Who the hell y'all think y'all dealing with? I lived in a house and most of these brothers will tell you, our mamas ran the house. Our grandmamas ran our mamas. Our great grandmamas ran our mamas, our grandmamas, our aunties, and the rest of us. That's not a black household. I need y'all to refocus. Y'all need to get y'all stuff together. I know y'all like YouTube scholarship. It's real quick. Y'all got the best cliff notes on the planet. But you're destroying yourself. They're targeting you on a reason. White supremacy is about genetic reproduction. If black women can't trust black men, they will not mate. They're slowing you down from making children with one another. So now you're in your 20s and you ain't even thinking about being a parent. I'm, I was 21 when I had my first. I was talking to my brother this morning, he was 22. The most revolutionary thing you can do is create a family, sustain a family, and make it a part of the community. If you're not doing that, you're not talking about nothing. I'm just being real with you. Black lives matter, so produce some lives, okay? All right? So with that, I'm gonna call him my brother. <laughs> he knew I was gonna joke. <laughs> I'm going to call him my brother Kasim, and he's going to give it to you guys straight. Welcome, brother Kasim. Y'all know Thomas had to act a fool. My, my name is Kasim Abdurrazak. I'm a mental health professional locally here in St. Paul. And I want to start by thanking uh, the Black Civic Network for a couple of things. The first thing is for being a black organization that is fearless and championing specifically the issues of black people unequivocally. Unequivocally. We're talking about people with their boots down hard, laced to the top. There is no back and forth. Their agenda is very clear. And the second thing that I want to thank them for is for being organization organization. The liberation of black people is contingent upon organization. 
This is cute. This is fine. This is, but this is mobilization. We're mobilizing today. And mobilizing is nothing without organization. And so before I leave today, I'm going to give again some of the response when you have organization, which is the Black Civic Network has some call to action for each one of us here. And that's what it means to mobilize in the presence of organization. It means that there's a greater agenda after we get together and once we leave. The fact that we're sitting here 400 years later talking about reparations lets us know that the realities and the atrocities and the crimes committed against American descendants of slaves have never been taken seriously. Never been taken seriously. And so we're here to try to bring about the affirmation and the change of the experience that we've had. And what has been that experience for black people? For over 400 years, black people have been in an abusive relationship with white America. An abusive relationship. And it's left 400 years worth of consequences. And I know we all here today, and I've heard this word being thrown out a couple times. We, we, we've talked about healing. And trust me, in the work that I do, that is one of the number one things that people, when they come into my office, say, I am ready to heal. I am ready to be through. I'm ready to be over this. But what people don't understand is that healing is just as painful as the trauma that got you there. It is just as painful. So there's some critical questions that you have to ask yourself when you want to talk about healing. So again, we want to get to this ideal of healing, but we have to understand what does the journey look like. And I've heard the stories. We in 2020 talking about rape culture, but we don't want to talk about the, the, the onset of rape culture in 1619. How are we talking about rape culture now when it was taught to us in 1619? How are we talking about breaking laws in 2020 when laws were broken in 1619? How are we talking about murder today when there was murder and continuous murder, continuous rape, continuous kidnapping for over 400 years? We have a maladaptive relationship. And if we're telling the truth here today, if we're telling the truth, there's no way to get through 400 years of an abusive relationship and not believe or understand with certainty that we are still in this maladaptive process with one another. So now I'm talking about black folks to black folks. Healing. We're asking about reparations because we want to get to this ideal of healing. But we have to look at how are we living out these maladaptive relationships in our day to day. And part of it is about, just as the brother Thomas said, it's about establishing trust. But it's just that trust is something that is earned. As we begin to examine and look forward to establishing a healing space, I submit to you that there is no healing. There is no healing without first having reparation. There is no healing without first having reparation. If you don't understand this, that means you're confused. That means come see me later. And why? Why is it necessary to establish reparations prior to healing? Because it means to ask a question differently than has been asked. When we was out here tearing up the streets out of the hurt and the pain of the murder of George Floyd, people didn't ask us a, a, a different question. They asked us, what's wrong with you? I was walking through my office and I, again, looking at white folks saying, I can't believe they're destroying everything. 
The question is, what's wrong with you? And you will never establish healing until you first ask the question, what has happened to you? To ask the question, what has happened to you, repositions and takes ownership. White America has never come in to ask that question because there is a fear. There is a fear of accountability and dissonance that will occur as you acknowledge, as you acknowledge not only the onset of these crimes, but the continuing persistence of these crimes and atrocities amongst or uh, committed against black people. It hasn't stopped, it hasn't persisted. So there is no healing without reparations because we need a reparative process. So again, I wanna leave you guys with this call of action. Cause like I said, it's cute for everybody to come out here. It's cute. I'm gonna talk again a little bit specifically, black folks who are here. Are you ready to start this journey of healing? Are you ready? I don't see no hands. I want to see. I want to see. Again, it's different when you put skin in the game. Now, I want to give you a little bit of statistical information. Again, we're asking the question, what has happened to us? There's a psychological profile that is necessary for healing. Some of us, again, if we take an opportunity like this, where there's a call for black action and people gather like this, we can estimate that maybe about 50, 57% of the black folks here today actually possess the psychological profile to begin this journey of healing. That means they've done some back work. But it also means that 43% are suffering in a very particular way a very particular way that does not position them for the healing journey. Now again, we throwing out 5743, but how do we know? This is how we know. So after the microphone goes off, after we finish our dance, there's two bills. The Sister Khalees came up here and talked about them. The African American Family Preservation Act and again, there's another one that I, I believe is being authored, the Reparative Justice Fund Bill by Senator Champion. The way that we distinguish these two types of blacks is that when this is all done, the person who is possessing the psychological profile necessary to heal will take that call of action and they have the psychological strength, the emotional strength to take that next step. So people, 98% of people who attend rallies like this and then take it a step further, it is affirmation that they are in a psychological position to begin their healing journey. So again, we're gonna figure out if you're a pretender or a defender. Now white folks, I see y'all here too. We glad to have you. We got some allies or some sympathists. Are, are you guys sympathetic whites? Or are you white allies? I don't see no hands up. Y'all's here. White ally? Huh? Accomplices. White folks are made up their own terms. You got to be careful about that. No, 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 no. Appreciate y'all. Power is the ability to define phenomenon and make it act in a desired fashion. Y'all's accomplices, huh? The way again, about 33% of white folks who show for gatherings like this are actually ambivalent about white supremacy. They're ambivalent. Ambivalent. Meaning like I'll accept some of the benefits to go along with it and I may not stand in the gap because I actually appreciate some of these benefits of whiteness. That's not an accomplice, that's not an ally. Someone who's sympathetic. To be an accomplice, and I, I appreciate that you said accomplice. You can't be an accomplice on your own terms.
To be an accomplice means that you are taking your moves from the people who are directing the actions. So what this means again is again this call of action. This is cute for everybody to be here. But again, how do we de- how do we determine if we're dealing with the white accomplices that again this African American Family Preservation Act that needs to get pushed. This reparative justice fund bill that needs to get pushed. When all of this music goes off, when all of the conversations stop, when you're back home with your friends, your family, your communities, taking that specific action, not your own action that keeps you comfortable, but that specific action. That is the agenda. And it was said here earlier by the sisters. There ain't no back and forth or no in-between. You are with us or you are direct opposition. Well, that was a brief version. I'm sure if you look up the reparations now thing at the Capitol in St. Paul, you will find a link that will show you the full version. I think enough was said there. You feel me? I agree with almost all and everything that was said. I don't even feel like I needed to add anything at all. That's the exposition. I enjoyed it. Matter of fact, I'm about to listen to this episode again. So I can hear the information again. All right. Peace.